BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Oregon State coach Jonathan Smith was uh, asked today about going for it. Took some points off the board against Colorado. I don't know if you saw it. They had an extra point. Colorado was penalized. Half the distance to the goal and the extra point. Smith said, no, no, we'll take the ball. We're going to go for two. Snapped the ball over DJ Uengalele's head. Colorado picks it up, goes 88 yards for two points the other way. Jonathan Smith was asked about the logic of it today. And he made a uh, he made a uh, comparison or an analogy with uh, being at a blackjack table. This this one the, the thing was in our favor. Uh, you know we've got a 250 pound quarterback, one of the best O lines in the country. We got a yard and a half to get. I feel like it's a lot like playing blackjack. Got dealt 11. The dealer's showing six. I'm doubling our points, doubling the money, and yeah, didn't work out. You know rifles over his head, but. You know, you've been at that table before. You got 11. You can double your money. You're going to go do that. Speak for yourself. Yeah. I'm doubling down every time. I am. He also said he thinks Stanford got better throughout this season. Uh, really, all three phases, both sides of the ball. I thought what, how they played defense uh, last week, they, they continue to battle. I look at their uh, competitiveness, their scoring the previous week against UW. That thing's down the wire. I think it's three minutes, two-point game. They've got the ball. Um, they're throwing it better. Got a couple of talented receivers. Schematically, Troy does a great job of challenging the defense, and so they they got a lot a lot of good to them. Here to talk about it, Stanford play-by-play broadcaster John Platts. He's also the author of a book, The Illustrated History of Stanford Football. If you're out there, there's a book being released within the next couple days. Uh, it is a hardback book 420 pages 160 photos it's available only at the stanford bookstore and uh john platt's here to talk about all of that plus the game coming up this weekend welcome you've been busy with that book huh uh well i have been john and thank you for the reach i just want the listeners to know i i didn't initiate this so that you could promote the book you, you no you, i reached you out, did, to you reach out to you yeah. yeah and uh, i just i didn't want the book to drop and then have you go hey how come you didn't tell me so uh, but thank you for for mentioning it. And uh, apologies again. The question was yeah. The, the book. All right, let's talk, the book. Farm Foundation, illustrated history of Stanford football. Like any Stanford fan's going to want it. Like, tell me what goes into that. How did you get the idea to do it? And you know, and and how comprehensive was that process? Well, it, it, it's a sort of it was been a five year deal, John. I wrote a book in 2015 on the occasion of the hundredth anniversary of the basketball program. I've been doing the games on radio for basketball since the late eighties. And that was a small hardback six by nine, and and uh, it was it was well received. Again, largely it's just, it's Stanford fans and Stanford community. Um, and I sort of a couple years later, 2017, 2018, I looked into looked into it, and no one had written a football book. And by that time, I was on the football broadcasting at the time doing the sideline. And I thought, well, I mean, over time, I, I can do this. So I, in 2017, I started to write a little bit here, a little bit there, and 
you know, the program goes back to 1892. You know, Walter Camp, for whom the Walter Camp Award is, is, is named, was a coach at Stanford in the 1890s. Pop Warner, you know, the Pop Warner Football Leagues. Pop Warner coached at Stanford. He coached Ernie Nevers as an NFL Hall of Famer in the 1920s. You know, Nevers played against the Four Horsemen in the Rose Bowl on two recently broken ankles that were just barely healed, and Stanford barely lost the game. He played all 60 minutes. And you go through the years, and you've got, you know, John Elway and James Lofton and Heisman winner Jim Plunkett. Then the last 15 years, John, as you well know, it's been, uh, except for the last two or three, just tremendous with five Heisman runner-ups between 20, 2009 and 2017. I mean, like, where does that, how does that happen? I mean, that's, that's, that's something I think that, that it's a story that needs to be written. I'm sort of the guy to do it. I wanted to do it. I had enough of a runway to write it. And it's, it's uh, you know, knock on wood dropping this week. So I've been trying to manage that, John, with the, the Port of Oakland and a, a fulfillment center in San Jose. And um, I'm better at writing than I am at sort of overseeing the logistics, but we're, we're almost we're almost at the finish line. Book's called Farm Foundation for people who are interested in it. And right now you get it at the Stanford Bookstore coming out in a couple of days and uh, be a good uh, be a good holiday gift. John Platt's with us, uh, the voice of Stanford and uh, an analyst and broadcaster on football and basketball. Let's talk about football this season. Feel like the season started out maybe with not a lot of hope, and then Stanford really seems to be playing better. What what has happened in that time? Well, I, I, I would say you know, 80 to 90% of it is the excellence of Troy, Troy Taylor, the head coach, and his staff. John, I've been really, really impressed with multiple phases of this head coach. He, he came recommended to Stanford by Chris Peterson and others, uh, a coach in whom the Stanford administration has high regard, of course, the former Boise State and UW coach, um, Troy Taylor, uh, you know, is, is positive. He's got sort of the foremost ethos of football culture, having these years be, you know, holistic, get your education, but let's do this football thing well. But, John, the thing that's most impressive are the practices, the, the schematics and the practices. John, the Stanford football practices are unlike what I've, what I've seen in four decades. In the two hours, the, the drills are quick, snap, 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 and then they run to the next drill, snap, snap, snap. And it's not a physical conditioning thing. It's, it's, you know, our guys are young, we've struggled, so let's get as many reps as we can over the two-hour period. And I think it's, it's starting to, to bear fruit. You know, does Stanford have the four or five NFL draftees on this roster? No. But the goal of a coach being, hey, let's maximize the talent level of whoever we have, that, that's starting to happen. And obviously last week, you hold the Washington State, up in Pullman to, to seven points. I mean, that's that's pretty darn impressive. Bobby April is a defensive coordinator, comes from Wisconsin, which, as you know, John, has had good defenses, particularly run defenses over the last half dozen years. He's the son of an NFL, longtime NFL assistant coach. So the coaching staff is really solid, really positive. Guys have bought in, and that's why Stanford is not is not spiraling. They're actually getting better in this, in this part of the season. John Platt's with us. Are they getting – Better quarterback play, better running back play. Did they find something with a connection with a you know great receiver, obviously that just absolutely punished Colorado? Did it happen during the Colorado game? If there was a switch that got flipped, what do you see? Well, I mean, I think you nailed it, John. I mean, Stanford was struggling in, in that Colorado game. It was Friday the thirteenth in October. Halftime, Stanford's down twenty nine to nothing. I'm looking at my broadcast partner going, "Oh no, here we go again." You know, let's let's fill the the second half in the in the, in the proper way. But Stanford just turned it around after halftime. And, and Alec Isle Manor, who's the young man, he's a red, redshirt freshman uh, from Medicine Hat, Canada. 
Uh, he went to prep school in the, in the eastern part of the United States. Uh, you know, we, we'd seen him practice. He's 6'3". Uh, he, he's real fast. Uh, but he hadn't, he hadn't put up numbers, John. And all he did in the second half, he didn't have any catches in the first half. He had uh, 13 catches for 294 yards in the second half and three touchdowns. Stanford's single-game record was Troy Walters with 278 way back in 99, I think it was. So he – and obviously people saw the highlights of him sort of not decapitating but, but stealing a, a touchdown over the head of Travis Hunter, you know, the great – uh, Colorado defensive back. So he, he burst on the scene, and Johnny's been consistent since then. He had a real good catch, a, a deep ball against Washington State uh, that set up the only Stanford touchdown a, a couple of days ago. So he's been kind of a, a foundational piece of the offense, along with Ashton Daniels, John, who's really, really come on. In October, he had 85 completions. He had over 1,000 yards throwing, and, and he's, he, Stanford was alternating quarterbacks in September. They're not doing that anymore. Daniels is 6'2", 2 215, he can run, but he's really got a feel in the pocket. He, he, he stands in there long enough, and if he sees it breaking down, he knows how, when and where to flush out so he can make throws on the run. So I, I think I think Daniels, Ashton Daniels, the quarterback, and Alec Ioman or the receiver have been sort of the underpinnings of the uh, the improvement of the offense. And Tiger Bachmeyer is a true freshman who plays the other wide out. He's a kid from Lake Elsinore, which is in Southern California. He's just kind of a wiry you know, make adjust his body to the ball and, and kind of make some some spectacular catches. So it's, it's been more pass game, John, than run game. The run game for Stanford is the quarterbacks. Both Justin Lampson, who comes in every now and then to, to run the football largely, although he threw a pass against the Cougars. You know, Stanford has the run game with the quarterbacks and then the pass game that's evolving. Give me an idea. You got to see Stanford just a couple of weeks ago. You got Oregon, you know, earlier in the season. We had we asked our listeners earlier which of those two teams you'd pick if they were playing today. Do you have a feel about that? I, I do. I, I, I mean, they're, they're both very, very good, and I, I kind of think that if they do meet in Las Vegas, which I think is is odds on, no guarantees. Oregon State may have obviously has something to say about that, but it probably will be a single digit margin. Whoever prevails. Having said that, having seen both of them play at Stanford Stadium against uh, the Cardinal. Yeah, I give the nod to Oregon. Uh, the, the September 30th game was uh, 42 to six. Uh, the, the Ducks triumph. The October 28th game, 42-33. And as you pointed out before I came on, Stanford was driving and had a fourth and three, and they had a gadget play, a reverse yeah, throw that saw it. The receiver dropped. It was shin level. If he catches that, the Stanford's field goal kicker can kick him 60 plus. Stanford might have taken the lead in the final couple of minutes, final minute 30. So. Um, you know, based on playing against Stanford, I give the nod to Oregon. I, that defense uh, looks solid uh, for me, a bit better than, than Washington's, at least at the current time. And that, that I love Bucky Irving. I mean, Dylan Johnson did, did a real good job this last week. He was kind of pedestrian against Stanford a couple of weeks ago. So I just, you know, the, the Oregon run game, the Oregon defense, and then Bo Nix, you know, mature, hungry, great stats. I mean, that, that is a great centerpiece for, for which to make a national championship run. So I, I give the nod to Oregon, but, of course, nobody would be surprised, A, if they meet in Las Vegas, and B, if Washington with the great Michael Penix is able to, to do a, a second win over Oregon. John Platt's with us, uh, Stanford, uh, former Stanford athlete and uh, an author and also the football and basketball radio broadcaster. Uh, Platt's, let me ask you, you know, a lot. there's a lot of final 
last times going on, meaning, you know, it was the last time Oregon State was going to Colorado, last time uh, Oregon's playing against, uh, you know, maybe Stanford in, in some time unless they schedule in a non-conference game. Uh, this last time for Stanford going to Oregon State uh, is – is significant too because these are members that have been in this conference 108 years of history um are, are you enduring any of that or are you just kind of calling the season or is that in the back of your mind at all well you know, of course it's in the back of my mind john i'm, I'm doing a, i think a professional job of sort of veering away from it in commentary there, there's a temptation during a break or a replay to kind of edge in there particularly if you're feeling it but I've not talked about it on the air, but, but as you and I have talked off the air, I mean, it's, it's really tough. I mean, I think there's, there's a silent majority out there, John. I mean, I think it's tens of thousands of people that grew up with this conference, and it's from the you know, Canadian-Washington border, obviously through all of Oregon and California, but then in the last four decades, the Arizona schools, the last decade, the, the mountain schools, and you know, people have grown up with this. And it's not just that you root for your team, but, but you love the league. You, you love the geographies. I've been lucky enough, John, to go to all these places. And as you know, the football stadiums, when you're up in the press box, are magnificent. It's like, it's like postcard viewing. And you have all the histories. And, gee, the Oregon game he, this year, what about the 89 game when Stanford had two onside kicks and one at the last? But, I mean, you have all that in your mind, and you can offer that. And somebody listening to it remembers, oh, yeah, my granddad and I were at the game or, or whatever. And all that's being blown up and i understand realities of business um but i also wonder too john again this is me being defensive probably but you know west coast viewers for game day next year year after i mean you know bay area market i'm, I'm speaking to but you know is is did they reach for too much by sort of ripping up the geographies and trying to you know make make the grand great matchups without a, a history or tradition so obviously that's my personal view professionally and this is and professionally is the correct way to go. Hey, we're moving on. Stanford is, is you know, way that the alternatives decided to go to the ACC, and so we'll we'll make it happen. John, let me ask you about the Stanford Oregon State matchup specifically. You've seen a little bit of Oregon State. Probably watched them late night on Saturday night against Colorado. How does this matchup go in your mind? Um, uh, hard, a little bit hard to, to fathom, just because I. I watch Jonathan Smith, and, and the teams get better every year. Um, the names are somewhat similar to last year, although DJ Uyagalele at the quarterback is, is, the, is the new face. But, John, you remember last year, Stanford had Oregon State beat, and, and that was a 3-9 Stanford team. But uh, Ben Gilbranson had that, that great throw that resulted in the touchdown in the final 40 seconds, and, and Stanford's defeat turned into to loss. So, you know, it's a research stadium. Oregon has a lot to play for. So that, that, I think that setup makes it tough for Stanford. Now, Stanford's going to battle. Troy Taylor's going to have it schemed up as best he can. Um, but obviously, it, it's uphill given what Oregon State's playing for and the fact that I think Jonathan Smith does a good job of getting his players to respect whatever opponent and, and sort of impart to them that, hey, you know, Coach Taylor, look what he did at, at Pullman the week prior. Stanford wins 10-7. to So uphill for Stanford, but the Cardinal will battle. And I think schematically, they'll, they'll, they'll offer the best shot at the Beast. Yeah, I, I keep looking around the conference, and I think it's going to be a hell of a three weeks here that we have ahead. And USC, obviously, Caleb Williams climbing into the stands after the USC game has that moment where his mom's holding it. I mean, it just melted me. I know he's getting criticized for it by some people, but I just think it was such an authentic moment watching, watching I love Caleb. The, I, love I loved heart. it. I, I love the heart, John. I mean, it, you know, for, for all those that say, 
uh, he's just a free agent. He's just teeing up his, 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 you know, draft positioning or his brand, whatever. That that wasn't brand stuff. You know, it, it, it meant something to him. And I'll tell you what, John. I mean, that guy, that guy's pumping out forty points. Or his teams are pumping out forty points, and you just can't deny the talent. It's not going to happen Heisman wise, obviously, because of the struggles of the team. I think it shouldn't, but that's kind of the reality of how this thing works. Uh, you know, Penix and Knicks are, are above him, but. Man, what a talent. And, and you love a guy who wants to win that badly. I'm with you 100%. Who do you like right now in that Heisman race? If You know, I've got a vote, and I, I think right now if I had to make a pick, i pick Penix with a little bit left to play. But who do you like? If you press me, I mean, it's, for me it's hard to parse Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, J.J. McCarthy, and then Marvin Harrison Jr. I'm not sure if you mentioned him earlier on your show. You might have, but. Michigan plays Ohio State. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a is a I think a generational wide receiver. Uh, you know, the son of, of course, the NFL player Marvin Harrison. You know, one of those two those two plays. So maybe one of those goes down a, a, a pike. John, something tells me Bo Nix is is going to win it. I, mean, I know that's a reach, but if you ask me to to predict, I think I can see Oregon winning out, and I think the voters and and this is a sore point with a lot of Stanford folks, and it's in my book, John. Christian McCaffrey in 2015 set the purpose record. I mean, you followed that season, 3,864 yards. Kick returning, punt returning, pass catching, and and, and rushing for over 2,000 yards. I want to say on 22% of the Heisman ballots that year, he wasn't even in the top three. I I, I still can't believe that. Are are, are the voters that ill-informed or that, gee, i got to go to bed at 10 a.m. and the Stanford game's on 10 a.m. Eastern? Uh, that, that that was criminal to me. I mean, that was that was malpractice. So, uh, uh, so so because of that, because of the publicity with that, I, I kind of think that the voters will be responsible and wait for the Pac-12 championship game and mm-hmm. and submit the ballot on Sunday, the third, I guess it is, the deadline for you voters. And if if Bonex leads the the Ducks to the to CFP, and he's probably going to have good numbers. And you talked about the running. He had an 80-yard touchdown run against Stanford last year. 25 touchdowns, just two interceptions. He's leading. I kind of think that in a very close race, he might be the one. I mean, for sure he's going to New York as a finalist. But if you press me now, I, I think it might be Knicks. John Platts, Stanford Radio. Check out his book as well. It's out here coming out this week. It is an illustrated history of Stanford football called Farm Foundation. You can get it at the Stanford Bookstore. Platts, uh, I appreciate you. I will see you down the road. All right, John. Thank you. Nice talking with you. There he is. He likes Bo Nix, Stephen. He says he thinks Bo Nix is going to win it. If Oregon wins out, you'd have a hard time not seeing it that way. I thought Penix coming out of the Oregon game had the lead clearly and I think Nix has, has narrowed that lead to just a little bit. If you really look at Bo Nix's season, 25 touchdown passes, he really should have one interception. He had one bounce off a receiver's hands uh, last week, and Cal ended up uh, intercepting the pass. He has just been very good. Opposing defensive coordinators talk about the fact that he just doesn't make mistakes. Yeah, it's, it's like John said. If the voters wait when they should, and they vote after the conference championship game, it almost seems like right now, whoever wins that conference championship game is going to be the Heisman Trophy winner between Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix. Now, I think you can argue 
what team is better. But at that point, when you're when you're deciding Heisman Trophy, it kind of matters on the field what happens, right? So I think you know right now I think Oregon's a better team. But if Washington were to beat Oregon for the Pac-12 title, I would have to give it to Penix at that point. But I think Bo Nix is right there, and I think he probably you know should be the second favorite right behind Michael Penix Jr. And if you tell me that Bo Nix is the favorite right now, I, I wouldn't argue that either. Like it, it's it's that close. Those two have put up some unbelievable numbers. And I do think, like, without those two guys on those two teams, they're not in the situation they're in right now. So they, they've been the best players in college football so far. And I think, you know, the winner of that award basically will be the winner of the Pac-12, and they're getting to the college football playoff. Give me an idea, though, because I got the argument today from some readers who said, well, Bo Nix in that offense throws a bunch of short passes. No wonder his completion percentage is so high. He's got a bunch of weapons. He throws short passes. Um, and and knocking that in a way that just you know sort of says look you know maybe Michael Penix is the better pro prospect he's the better player, but I don't knock Bo Nix for the offense he's playing in. I mean he he orchestrates it like a you know he's a conductor of a symphony, and he's you know he spreads the ball around he sees everything he does he just doesn't make a mistake. And I've watched Penix Penix will make a mistake. And I told you in the Oregon Washington game. In fact, you and I were texting with each other during that game and. You know, Washington had the ball right before half, and I texted you, Penix is going to make a mistake, and the very next pass he threw a pick. He'll just, he takes some risk, he takes some chances, he leans heavily on his arm and his natural talent. He's got a phenomenal arm, he has vision as well, he's a really good player, but I don't, I'm not going to downgrade Knicks because he's in an offense where he's required to spread the ball around, and guys are wide open. No, because you still have to execute, right? Like, I mean, you look at other guys in these type of offenses, and it doesn't work as well as Bo Nix. Bo Nix has a chance to set the all-time NCAA record for completion percentage. Like, you have to give him credit. It doesn't matter what offense you're in. You can't just throw any quarterback in that situation and have them be that effective. So, yeah, I'm with you. Like, Bo Nix, yes, the offense is suited absolutely perfect for him. The running game is perfect for him. He can play off of that. He can run when he has to. But at the same time, you still have to execute. And he's doing a really good job of that, and he's not making mistakes. And I think right now, you know, it's a college football award. It's not an NFL award. And if it's an NFL award, who's going to be the better quarterback in the NFL? You can go Penix, and I'm fine with that. But right now, if you're just looking at the college football season, it's hard to argue that anyone's been better than Bo Nix all year long. Yeah, and I think, you know, part of the issue is that, you know, we're we're nitpicking and we're asking, okay, which of these two guys is going to win the Heisman? Which guy is the better player? You know, who's the better team? And I, this stuff needs to get settled on the field, and we got you know you have three weeks of the regular season plus the conference championship game to get there. All right, so much more ahead. We're going to talk about Caleb Williams, USC. How will they respond after the firing of their defensive coordinator Alex Grinch? Is Oregon uh, facing a dicey situation, and what do we make of the fourth quarter of Oregon State's game? Plus. A lot ahead on the NFL front. Raiders looking for a coach, but looked pretty good over the weekend. And uh, a big Monday night football game coming up uh, as well. Leave it here.